our theme for August, the rest of this month, is stewardship. And stewardship can be defined as the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. Now, last week, if you were here, you would have heard Thomas um, talk about stewarding our minds. And I am always challenged and greatly impressed by how Thomas is able to stand up here and just from memory quote chapters of the Bible. And that certainly is a great way that we can steward our, steward our minds. But today I'm going to steward something a little bit easier, a little bit simpler for me, because I'm going to steward my story Several months ago as a church, we studied together Bill Heibel's book, Just Walk Across the Room. And in that book, we learned that one of the most powerful tools that we have for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with others is the story of what God is doing in our own lives. So today I'm here to steward my story, and I'm just going to walk across the room to share it with you. So let's talk story. Psalm 40, verse 5 says, Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done. The things you planned for us, none can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. Well, actually, my story begins several decades ago in Southern California. And there are some things that you should know about my childhood. I was born the second daughter in a family that would grow to be five girls and three boys. And I'm that um, second one right there next to my dad's elbow in front of my mom. Now, we went to church um, weekly, and we had regular Bible lessons from our parents because my parents loved God, and they wanted us to grow to know God and love him as well. I learned that... um, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he was born to a virgin, that he lived a perfect life, and then he died on the cross for my sins. I learned that Jesus didn't stay dead, though, but that after three days he rose from the dead and that he now lives in heaven. I understood early on that I needed um, to be forgiven of sins if I wanted to join him in heaven. And the reason I knew that so well was because I had given my parents many reasons to discipline me. And so as a young child, I prayed, and I asked Jesus to come into my life and to forgive my sins. Now, if you would have asked me as a child what I was going to do when I grew up, I would have told you that I was going to be a nurse and that I wanted to be a wife and mother. From my earliest days, I felt called to nursing. I was a... um, Red Cross volunteer in a rest home in junior high school. In high school, I became a candy striper at our local hospital. I even read novels where nurses were heroines. And so it just seemed um, that um, something that was expected, that right after high school, I would start my nursing um, program. And I entered into a um, nurse's aid course. But that's kind of where my nursing ended because I quickly found out that I didn't really like bedpans and bed baths, and so I dropped that course. Now, I may not have become a nurse, but I was able to work on my second goal when Gary and I married. 
soon afterward, we talked about having a family, and we were excited to learn about six months into our marriage that I was pregnant. But at 11 weeks of pregnancy, I miscarried. And within months, we began to realize that conceiving and carrying a pregnancy to term would not be possible for us, or at least was going to be a problem. So soon the reality of infertility was upon us, and that not only threatened my dreams of becoming a mother, but it made me start to um, really question about the existence of God, or at least his ability to make much difference in my life. I felt like the more I went through tests and procedures to um, help with our infertility or come to some conclusion, that um, I must not be doing something that would make God happy. I felt like he was abandoning me. I wondered if I was good enough for God. It didn't seem like he was hearing my prayers for a child. Now, this time in my life was very dark. The more tests and treatments that I went through, the further I sunk into a depressive state. I wanted to be a wife and a mother, and I didn't think that I could be happy without children. Gary took most of the treatments in stride, and even that was painful for me. He didn't seem as broken up of our infertility as I was, and that bothered me. Well, during this time, Gary made the decision to join the Army. Um, He thought that the benefits of medical as well as education would be good for both of us. He makes the barren woman happy in her home, the joyful mother of children. This was a verse that God gave me, and I prayed, and I began to believe. And as time went on, people found out that we wanted to ha- um, were trying to um, have children. We began to look at different ways to bring children into our family. And one day we got a call from our pastor, who told us about a baby that was going to be available for adoption. Things moved very quickly. We got a lawyer who began to work with the birth mother's social worker. And it was actually on our anniversary that we got a call that our son had been born. What an exciting day that was. We spent our anniversary at the baby window of the hospital. Now, I can't begin to describe to you the feeling of having someone place in your arms a baby that you had absolutely nothing to do with creating. It is the most amazing gift. We named our son Nathaniel, which means gift from God. Now I knew I was going to be a happy mother as well as Gary's wife, and I had achieved my dreams. Well, on the outside, it seemed like I was happy, and for the most part, I was. But, you know, inside me, I still had this nagging because I wanted more children. On the outside, I went about life being involved in a lot of clubs and community groups. I held positions in our local church. We were able to spend special times with our extended family. And for the most part, I was a very happy person. But still deep inside me, I had this feeling that I wasn't measuring up to what I should do. I wanted more than one child. And now even Nate began to pray for a sibling. So when he was about three, I began to undergo more tests and treatments to add to our family. I also began again to question my worth to God. I wondered if there was something that I might be able to do 
to make him love me more or at least make him pay attention to my prayers to ensure that he heard what I was praying for. While I went through medical tests and treatments for infertility, I also went through a lot of depression and discouragement. Well, by the time Nate was eight years old, we had exhausted all of our medical options, and we decided to pursue a different type of adoption in our quest to add to our family. Nate's adoption had come about so quickly that almost from the time we knew of his existence, I was his mother. For our next adoption, we went through an agency, and it took a lot of time and effort on our part. Now, I'm not good at waiting, but it was during this waiting time that God began to speak to me and show me just how much he loves me and wanted me to be his child. I began to see the similarities of what we were doing to add to our family and what God had done to add me to his family. You know, when we decided to add children to our family, those children were not aware of our existence or of their need for a family. We wanted children, and so we made all the necessary payments and arrangements to bring them to our home. We didn't choose our children for who they were or for what they could do for us. We wanted them, and so we chose them for what we could do for them and what we could give them. Our children didn't have to earn the right to be members of our family. In fact, nothing that they could do would have made any difference to us. We wanted them. All they had to do was come to us. Our adoption of them was a free gift to them, a gift that they accepted merely by coming to our home. Nothing that they ever could do would make us love them any less or change their position in our family. When God decided to add me to his family, I was not aware of my need of him. The Bible says, long ago, even before he made the world, God chose us to be his very own. His unchanging plan had always been to adopt us into his family by sending Jesus Christ to die for us. And he did this because he wanted to. God's desire was for me to be his daughter, and so he made all the necessary payments and arrangements for me. God chose me because he wanted to do things for me, and he has so much to give me. But because God is a holy God and cannot look on sin, and because I am a sinner, God arranged for his son, Jesus Christ, the only person without sin, to be the payment for me. Christ's painful, humiliating death on the cross bridged the gap between God and me and made it possible for me to be brought into his family and to have a relationship with him. Many times I had struggled with how I could mean more to God. What a waste of my time that was. I already meant everything to him. He gave his son so that I would become his daughter. My belief in Jesus Christ as the payment for my sin was all that God ever required of me to be brought into his family and to have eternal life. And when I prayed as a young child and asked Jesus to forgive my sin and come into my life, I had met that requirement. 
I realize now how very special I am to God. I am a dearly loved child. Well, our daughter Jenna joined our family from Korea on Thanksgiving Day, and you know we had much to be thankful for that day. With Jenna's arrival, I became much more settled into my role as wife and mother. You know, having two children seemed right, and it really helped secure my stay-at-home wife status. When Nate was about 15 and Jenna was six, the Army moved us from San Francisco to Arkansas. Now, that was a big change for our family, but it was a good one for the kids. We settled in a small town in the Bible Belt where people went to church every Sunday and they watched your kids every other day of the week. Nate started high school in Arkansas and Jenna started kindergarten. Well, I soon found that I had some time on my hands, and it seemed like um, adding some kids to our home might be a good idea. Well, we really didn't want to add any permanently, um, so Gary and I became um, foster care parents, and we had our home licensed for foster care. During our time in Arkansas as a licensed foster care family, we had about 20 kids come through our home. And most of these kids were toddlers or infants and needed full-time care. One child placed with us was a tiny preemie baby with big blue eyes and blonde hair. All right. All right, more on this. Um, He was a temporary placement with us while his full-time foster family recovered from illness. That temporary placement was extended, and we fell in love with that baby. At about two years of age, he became available for adoption, and David was made a permanent member of our family. Now, as foster parents, we were well aware of his background since we took him to visit with his birth family. We knew that he was at risk for many challenges based on biological mental health history and his premature birth. We saw his genetic heritage and read the bleak prognosis given to him by medical professionals, But we naively believed that in our loving home, he would be able to overcome those challenges. When David's adoption was finalized, we left Arkansas for another military assignment in Michigan. Around the time of our move, our toddler began to show behaviors that did not seem normal for a toddler. He had rage that was uncontrollable. He didn't seem to connect with people appropriately, but might be overly connected to objects. He needed routine and anything out of the routine or ordinary or the word no would set him into a rage. Now, I talked to his pediatrician about my concerns, but was reminded that he was a two-year-old. I had experience with two-year-olds. This guy was not displaying normal two-year-old behavior. I pushed for better answers, and we began testing with our toddler. He qualified for special intervention services when he started preschool. I also began my own research at the library and on the internet, and we began to realize that David showed signs of autism as well as being developmentally delayed. For the next three years, I threw myself into researching the best treatments and programs for him. I called for meetings at the school and advocated for services that I believed would help him. We took him to an autism specialist at the University of Michigan and had appointments with neurologists and behavioral specialists. 
His rage-filled outbursts made having anyone in our home very difficult. Where once our home was the hub for gatherings of friends and family, now any extra excitement would cause our toddler to melt down. Our family life took a drastic change as it became difficult for us to attend extracurricular activities with our other children, and one parent needed to stay home with our toddler. Even churches that we attended were not set up to handle the special needs of our son, and we were asked to leave or at least not bring him. So we soon found that we were very much alone in parenting him. Now, when David was five and Jenna was about 12, Gary was transferred to Hawaii. We came for Gary's last assignment with the military before retirement and planned to be here for about a year and a half. And Hawaii has been our home now for 15 years. It didn't start out like paradise for me, though. We'd been here just a couple of months when I began to sink again into a depression. This depression was different than others that I had um, battled though, because this time I was filled with overwhelming anxiety, and at times I couldn't even leave my house. I actually began to believe that everyone might be better off without me, and I began to develop a plan that might end my life. I realized that this was very serious, and so I went to my doctor thinking, maybe it's something hormonal. He recognized that I had major depressive disorder, and he referred me to a psychologist. He also recommended medication, and the combination of medication and counseling ensured that I would not carry out my dangerous plan. I was referred to a counselor who was a godly man, and as we began working together, I began to deal with false beliefs that had led me down a path of negative thinking. I took many mental health days with my Bible on the beach, and I um, used that time to really begin some healing with prayer and Bible study. And during that healing time, it also became clear that David would need more professional help than what I could give him. I began to realize that I was primarily meant to be his mother, That was my main job with him, and I was to provide him with unconditional love. There were others educated to provide the training and support that all of us required. Well, allowing others to share in the responsibilities um, of David was a relief for me, but also left me wondering what was I supposed to do with the rest of my life. Now, I was a stay-at-home mom, and with children in school all day, what was my purpose? One day, several months into my healing time, I was driving along. I was praying, and I was talking to God about these concerns. And from the back of my car, a voice, just as clear as could be, spoke up and said, you are going to be a nurse. Well, I looked into my rearview mirror, and there was nobody back there because I was alone. But I also realized at that point that the voice really wasn't coming from behind me, but it was a voice in my head. And I recognized that voice as the voice of God. Well, I told God, wait a minute here. You know, I tried nursing school back when I was 18, and I dropped out. Remember the bedpans and the bedbaths? But God said again to me, you are going to be a registered nurse. So I started nursing school that fall, and just before my 49th birthday, 
I began my now 10-year career at the Queens Medical Center. This was definitely not what I had planned for my life. I didn't think that I was going to be nursing now, but it was exactly what God had planned for me. Jeremiah 29:11 says, "For I know the plans I have for you, plans for your welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope." My hope is grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ. And because I am God's child, I know that nothing comes my way that he has not planned for me. I'm God's child, and if you're a parent, you know you want what's best for your children. And I know that I can trust God with every detail of my life. Now, some of his plans really haven't seemed to make sense to me. I mean, what when I would have chosen pregnancy and childbirth, he chose adoption. I had given up the idea of college and career when I married, but he had just saved it for later. I would have chosen mental health for me and my children, but he chose a different path. And because of that path, we have had some very challenging times as a family that have included making hard decisions for the safety and well-being of our son, our family, and our community. But I believe that what God says is true. He tells me he is planning for my good. He sees a much bigger picture than I see. And I have learned that I can trust him with all the details of my life because he knows exactly how he's working things out.